Our text today is in Isaiah chapter number 61. Isaiah 61 as we've been going through spring and summer sessions here. Bringing us up towards the end of Isaiah. Isaiah 61, chapter 61 for our text today. There we go. This is Father's Day. It is Father's Day, and uh, I really didn't think about it when I was putting together these thoughts, but it happens to work out just fine. I want to talk about my father. <laughs> uh, my father loved to quote certain poems. Now, if you knew him, you'd never think of him as a man who loved poetry. <laughs> but certain things caught his fancy. He was always quoting the charge of the light brigade. Because, I don't know if you were familiar with that, but he often quoted it because it was about courage. And he liked that raw courage. He always quoted Winston Churchill's famous speech. During World War II, we will fight them in the field, we will fight them in the streets, and we will never surrender. That was kind of his motto. But there was a poem he often quoted, written by a lady called Joyce Kilmer. And it went like this, I think that I shall never see a poem as lovely as a tree. And then it goes on to talk about trees, and it finishes up with, Poems were made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. And my father loved trees. He spent the first years that we lived here <coughs> planting trees all over the 14,000 acres of Iroquois National Wildlife Refuge. Matter of fact, if there's a pine tree or a spruce tree anywhere on that 14,000 acres, you can bet he planted it. That's why it's there. Now, there's something enduring about a tree, isn't it? There's certain types of trees have short lifespans, but others grow for years and years and stand for several out generations, and they outlive the people who plant them. Now, back in the late... 1800s and early 1900s, the government here had a program that paid people to plant sugar maples around their houses. And you weren't going to get rich planting sugar maples, uh, but a lot of folks did it. And so around the old homesteads here, uh, you always found the big sugar maples. Now, that was when the government used to do useful things. <laughs> If you go south, just past Swallow Hollow around the sharp curve there, you come on the right, a great big grove of sugar maples. The house is gone. It was the home of Avis and Lottie Maxwell. And for years, Avis uh, was uh, our piano player here at this church. House is gone. Only the sugar maples remain. If you turn on the Roberts Road, the old places still have sugar maples. Fred Haslip has some in his yard. My house is surrounded with great big sugar maple trees. On Sour Springs Road, 
can see where all the old homesteads used to be, the Quibble home and some of the others, long courts down through there, houses long gone, and only the sugar maples remain as a testament that once there was a home where families grew up and enjoyed those great trees. Our text today mentions trees as something quite important. Now, one of the great challenges in reading the Bible is learning how to interpret its meaning. And there are often uh, clues that help us understand what the Bible is trying to say. History often helps us interpret meaning. What was happening at the time the author wrote often helps us understand the passage. But the Bible is a unique book standing out from all other books because God was behind it and the authors were inspired to write what God whispered in their ear. And so unique from all other books, the Bible often foretold the future. Now some people write books and try to guess what the future will hold today, but it's only a guess. All it is is a guess. But the Bible is the oldest book in the world ever written. And we can often see where the future was predicted in the Bible. And then 400, 600, 1,000 years later, it came true. So the Bible has a perfect reputation when it comes to foretelling future events. Our text today was a mystery for years and years. Until suddenly, one day, its prediction came true. So let's look at it and see what it says and how it will unfold its meaning for us. Isaiah chapter 61, I begin reading at the first verse. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them which are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. When Isaiah wrote this passage, the Jewish people were captives in Babylon. The historical background of the text was Jerusalem had been laid siege by King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He destroyed Jerusalem and take the Jews captive back to Babylon. Uprooted from their homes, taken to a foreign land, never to return. Their children were born in Babylon. So for 70 years, two or three generations, the Jews lived in Babylon. But Babylon fell to the Persians and the Persian king allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem and rebuild it. So for 400 years, this passage was believed to apply to that historical situation. Verse 1, the Spirit has anointed me to preach. And they thought, well, that's Isaiah. 
telling us that God told him what to say. Isaiah was supposed to be the anointed preacher referred to in verse 1. And the captives set free and the prisoners loosed from prison were supposed to be the Jews who were allowed to leave Babylon return home to Jerusalem. So they said Isaiah predicted the immediate future. And 70 years later, the Jews came back to Jerusalem. And that's how they interpreted Isaiah's writing here in chapter 61 for 400 years. And then something happened that changed the whole thing. This plain, ordinary man got up to preach in a little insignificant town. Just like you see today, okay? Plain, ordinary preacher in a little insignificant place, East Shelby. He got up. He was handed a scroll. Books in those days were written on long pieces of paper called scrolls. They handed him a scroll of the book of Isaiah. And he stood up and he read from Isaiah 60, which is the very thing that I read this morning. And after he read the text, he preached his sermon. And then this ordinary preacher said the most amazing thing. He said, this passage written over 400 years ago is all about me. So today, this prophecy has been fulfilled right before your eyes. Well, that little insignificant town was a place called Nazareth. And the preacher was one of Nazareth's local citizens, a man called Jesus of Nazareth. So let's jump ahead 400 years now and read what happened on that amazing day when Jesus preached his sermon in Nazareth, the first one he ever preached there. Luke chapter number 4. Luke's gospel, chapter number 4. And this is what happened that day. When Jesus taught in Nazareth. Verse number 15. He taught in their synagogues being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. There was delivered unto him the book of uh, the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And they all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? So just like that, Jesus changed the whole meaning of Isaiah chapter 61. He said, this is written about me. 
This is all about me. So let's look at Isaiah 61 in the light of what Jesus said. And let's apply it to him. Not to Isaiah or not to the Jewish captives from Babylon. But to Jesus as he preached that day in Nazareth. Now, if you've been paying attention. And if you are good Bible students. You have a question to ask me. We read Isaiah, then we read what Jesus read from that scroll. And if you're paying attention, you have a question. Do you have a question for me? <laughs> Are you paying attention? Of course you're paying attention. I wouldn't think any other thing. And the question you have for me is, why? Why does Isaiah passage not match what Jesus read from his scrolls. They're a little different. What Jesus read is a little different. Jesus mentions recovery of sight to the blind. It doesn't say that in Isaiah 61. So what was Jesus doing? Well, if you were to open a scroll, it's not like turning a page different so you're opening up a scroll and you can see a lot of writing in front of you so apparently what jesus did was take some of isaiah's other writings and put him into his sermon if we were to look at isaiah 42 which is a couple of pages back from where we read it would say i the lord have called thee in righteousness will hold thy hand, keep thee, give thee for a covenant to the people to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. So with the scroll open, he reads from both passages with the same meaning and ties two together into one. That should not surprise you. I do that every Sunday. That shouldn't be a surprise to you. So Jesus did it like stringing pearls on a thread. You could put the gems together, make it all one beautiful thought. Now in order to grasp this whole passage, you've got to remember something. Ask yourself the question, why did Jesus come to earth? What made him come down from heaven be born as a human, and live here for 33 years? There's only one answer. Sin. Sin is what made him come to earth. If all he wanted to do was bless us, he could have stayed in heaven and done that. He didn't have to come down here if he just wanted to bless us. But in order to fix the problem of sin, he had to come down take a human form, and die as a human, sacrifice himself in our place. He couldn't die if he was God. So he became human so he could die. So as he preaches from Isaiah 51... He talks about why he came, the reasons he came. He explains 
our condition, which is sin. And his response to sin, he tells us that. Now, sin affects people in different ways. To some people, sin is embarrassing. To some people, sin has its addicting power. To others, it leaves a guilty conscience that you can't deal with. Some people are blinded by sin. Other people feel rejection. People react differently to sin. And Jesus explains his reaction to the different symptoms of sin. He says, I came to preach to meek and poor people. And my friends, there is no poverty like sin. There's nothing more poverty ripping than sin. See, if I take a mortgage on my house, well, eventually I'll pay it off, right? It may take years, but I will pay it off eventually. But if I owe a debt for my sins, I can't pay it. I've sinned against a holy God. The Bible says a soul that sins it shall die. And I come before God with meekness and I say, I can't pay it. I can't pay this debt. And he says to me, I got good news. It's all paid. I paid it for you. Your account is closed. My friends, that feels good to me. Then Jesus said, I came to heal broken-hearted people. Now, I've seen people cry for a lot of different reasons. I've seen children cry just to get their own way. You know what I'm talking about. I've seen people cry because they're mad. I've seen people cry because they got their feelings hurt. Those are things that you and I can help along the way. But occasionally, I've seen people cry because they are truly broken hearted. And often I find I just can't help them. I can't mend a broken heart. My friends, nothing will break your heart like sin does. A loving Savior who in his kindness reached out to you and in his mercy suffered in your place, who in his desire to be forgiving died for you. You sinned against him and it feels like you just drove another nail into his hand. And brokenhearted, you say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What does he do? He turns around and offers forgiveness. More than that, he calls it full pardon. He promises to remove your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. And he heals your broken heart. And I'll tell you, what a relief is that healing. And then he says, sometimes sin is like captivity. It holds you in its grip. 
it's a hard taskmaster. You're addicted to it and bound and you're tied to it and you can't stop. You try, but you fail. Only Jesus can break the chains that bind you and he alone can set you free. He delivers the captives and he sets the prisoner free. Thank you, Jesus. And then sometimes sin is a blindness in some people. You can't grasp. You can't understand. You find excuses for your behavior. And you think God's rule maybe just don't apply to you. And you're blind. You don't see how God works. And you can't grasp all that Jesus can do for you. Because sin will blind you. It will keep you in the dark. We sing that old song here sometimes. Open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Place in my hand a wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. Silently now I wait for thee. Ready, my God, I will to see. Open my eyes. Illumine me. Spirit divine. Only Jesus can deal with the blinding nature of sin. And then Jesus said, I'm here to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. In the Old Testament, we read about something called the acceptable year. We call it Jubilee, the year of Jubilee. And when that year came around, all debts were canceled. Prisoners were set free. Property returned to its original owner. God, he says, I'm preaching this sermon that God is open to accept you, to receive you. Jesus has opened the door wide open and said, Whosoever will may come, not for a day and not for a week. He said, it's the year of acceptance. All the feelings of rejection. He has come and offers love and acceptance to those who feel rejected. We sing the song, Just As I Am. Just the way I am. Without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me, that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. We crave his love and acceptance. So whether sin has made you poor, or whether it's broken your heart, whether it's made you a prisoner, or blinded your eyes, sin offers redemption. A a remedy for all that will come. Isaiah explains how sin left us feeling depressed. A deep depression that won't go away. And Isaiah says, here we are. uh, Mourning. We're sad. We're mourning. And we're covered in ashes. Now in Bible times, when you were sad, you sat down in a pile of ashes and you threw them up in the air and you let them come down all over you and you sprinkled all over your head until you were filthy and dirty with ashes. And then with a heaviness in your heart, you sat in the ashes, unable to move. You sat in the ashes, miserable. 
You can't move to a better place. You're weighed down with sorrow and sin. You are deeply depressed. And Jesus comes along, he says, wipes the ashes off your face, cleans you up, and he gives us beauty instead of ashes. The word is actually, he puts a laurel wreath around our head. He rubs us with oil. It's a refreshing and a cleansing oil. And he lifts us out of that depression and puts on us fresh clothes. And a heavy heart is unburdened and made light. And Jesus says, come on now, get up. Time to get up. Rise and shine. What a change. What a different attitude. What a new feeling. We brought sadness and ashes and heavy hearts. He exchanged the whole thing. We, what we brought, and he gives us a reason to sing and to praise and be happy. And then to close it, God said, I want you to be trees. Trees that I plant that you might glorify me. Now, trees are full of qualities that God wants us to display. He wants us to be like trees. Trees have life. Now, God made mountains, big, huge, giant, impressive mountains, but the mountains are not alive. It's just a rock. He made whole planets. Hung up there in space, hanging those giant orbs up in space. And on those planets, there's not one sign of life anywhere. It's just a rock in space. Trees are the biggest thing that we know that have life. They have the quality of life. You can see the leaves come out in the spring. It's new life. In the fall, the leaves color and fall. No need to worry. There'll be a whole new set in the spring as that life continues. And because trees have life, they constantly display that life. And trees are one of the most useful things that God ever made. You're sitting in this house right now, God's house. It's made from trees. We make our homes from trees. I burn trees in my house to make the house warm. We sit under their shade. Everybody's telling me, let's go back to West Jackson and have services. You like sitting under the shade. We eat the fruit. comes off of the trees. And then our trees outlive us. They stand strong stable and strong, able to survive the storms and the wind that blow. God wants us to be his trees. A picture of life, an example to others of how that life lasts, giving to all around us comfort and warmth and shelter in the storms of life. He wants us to be stable and long-lasting. To stand out like some great monument, giant oaks or sugar maples. 
So people will say, look, there's a Christian. I can tell he's stable and he's strong and he's full of life and he's useful and he's comforting and he's nourishing to everybody around. It's a tree of righteousness that God planted. I don't know about you. I want to be a sugar maple. Huh? I want to outlast the others, never failing to give support and comfort to all around. And so Isaiah wrote about Jesus. Jesus came and said, I'm the healer. I'm the deliverer. I'll pay your debt. I will reach out to you and accept you just as you are. I will pick you up and then clean you off, give you new clothes, change your life until you're a tree standing tall and sturdy for all to see. And that's what he offered to those people in Nazareth when he preached in their synagogue that day. What they responded was, well, we know you. <laughs> you grew up down the street. You're just a carpenter. Joseph's son. Now, if you want to do something miraculous, we'll take it. But don't ask us to believe that you've got all these powers. You're just Joseph's son, a carpenter. And their response was that when he finished preaching, they drove him out of town and tried to throw him over a cliff. I hope you won't do that today. <laughs> but they refused to accept him and his generous offer. What a tragedy in his own hometown. I trust that you will not reject him. After all, he's the only one who can pay the debt. He's the only one who can break the chains. He's the only one who can open the eyes. He's the only one that can heal the brokenhearted. And he's the only one that will take away the heaviness. May we all be trees for God, standing tall and strong, full of life and useful and comforting. God bless you as you stand for him. Let's all be sugar maples, shall we? Let's bow our head in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. How Jesus opens it up helps us to understand it like we never did before. But we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We want to just come to you. Say, here we are. Take us as we are. We come to you and offer ourselves. Bless us, Lord, as we do that. May we be trees standing tall, firm for God. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Closing, I'd like you to turn your hymn books to page number 558. 558, standing as we sing, if you will, just as I am without one plea. Standing as we sing, 558, O Lamb of God, I come. Page 558.
Dear Lord, we know we are often saddened and depressed, bound by these chains of sin that often hold us back, Lord, and we pray that we would come to you with the fightings and the fears and all of those within us, with the dark blots on our hearts, come to you and be free. We know that you are the only place in all the world that we can go for freedom and forgiveness. There is no other place, and all freedom and all forgiveness starts from you. We just pray that our hearts, we would seek you, and we would come to you. Cleanse us and show us the pathways that you want us to take and help us to be those great, strong, mighty, righteous trees that grow, that are useful to those around us, that give relief and nourishment to all of those people around, and that stand as a testament not to ourselves, but to a great and mighty, forgiving God. May we be that person today. We thank you for what you've done for us. We ask especially for your protection and your care as we go from this place, bring us especially back to this place with great news of God, Lord. We thank you for these things in your name.